Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. From News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, this is Good Morning BT with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. Donald Trump? <laughs> we can finally track one of the songs to a reason. Well, that's what's so funny is that I, I, I looked at Jim when the song started playing and I said, don't ask why. And he said, I he mouthed Trump. me, Trump. Trump. <laughs> Trump. Trump's in your head. I didn't put those two things together until you guys brought it up in the, the commercial break that, you know, yesterday I kept talking about Donald Trump's tweet, or it's not a tweet, it's a truth social post. It was a side-by-side, half of Elvis's face and half of his face, and he was asking if he thought people thought he looked like Elvis. Yeah, baby, I do. <laughs> Don't you look the king? So maybe that's how I woke up singing Bebop-a-Lula to my chihuahua this morning, and I was like, what Did the? you make a peanut butter and banana sandwich? <laughs> that's what I had for breakfast. Yeah, baby. Nothing. <laughs> Five years ago, hearing you say that sentence, I saw it was uh, Donald Trump's tweet. I mean, Donald Trump's truth. We'd be like, "What do you mean his? What do you mean his truth?" Right, right. Hey, what do we call it now? Is it X? Like we have stuff. Like yeah, we've never come yet. up with a verb. What's the for verb for it? Even, I guess even that's a, incorrect now. A post. Can we all just agree that we can stop saying? Formerly Twitter, you know, X. Yeah. Everybody knows when you say tweet, it means it's on X now. Yeah. You know, it's and I weird, still say Twitter. Well, you know, but we should just all just say it. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Like, I, so many people I hear on like, anchors on TV, you know, he tweeted on X, formerly Twitter. We know. We know. Yeah, we, we know. It's, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a few months. It's, it's, we get it. But just the idea of saying uh, Donald Trump's truth. You know, four years ago, nobody would have known he would have said that. What's that mean? Well, it means his, his own social media site. Right. He posted on his social media site <laughs> that he th- thinks that he looks like Elvis, and he was wondering if other people agree. Or that people tell him he looks like Elvis. And, and we're that speculating was, that that's how that got into your head today. We're speculating, yes, because I have no idea why. And, but of all the Elvis songs, like Bebop Alula, <laughs> what a strange one. So if anybody um, understands, if there's something that somebody needed to hear from if somebody Elvis. somebody needed to hear that song today. And, good morning. That meant something to you, then there it is. There it is. There's Bebop Alula. I think it, it meant something to Elvis, maybe Donald Trump. I think my... I was in the marching band. Uh, I was a flag girl in the marching did band. Did you ever sleep? I mean, how many things <laughs> yeah. you can... Did you have any downtime <laughs> as a child? Did you sign Never. up for every single activity? I did. You know, T-Bone's in the hallway trying to find people to play softball, so... Oh, so I was on the Right This Minute softball team, guys. And well, they're looking for players. I, I legitimately was so terrible that I was... Because um, they needed a female, and I, I was like, I'll be your softball player! Uh, 
And I went and joined the softball team, and I'm not gonna, I'm not lying. The very first game, I hit a line drive down third base, and I was so excited. I was so excited that I actually hit the ball that I like jumped up in the air, and then I immediately started running to first, and my legs ran faster than the rest of my body, and I just fell. I just <laughs> fell running to first base. Well, see, you're perfect because Tebow knows like. He goes, it's funny because people think the sports talk station, like they're filled with athletes. Right. But we all know they're not. No. And so he said, this is like just for content. Like they know they're not going to win. They just want the stories to tell on Monday. Oh, well. So you're perfect for this. Perfect story. I still have a scar on my leg because I fell in the dirt. My leg was bloody. My arm was bloody. But the other team was so bad that I got up and still made it to first base and then scored. And so I got back to the dugout and I was like, it's like a parable for life, guys. You get back up. (laughs) You keep running, and you might score. And I don't mean score. I mean score in softball, not score in other ways if you get back up. I know. We didn't think you meant the other way. (laughs) Now we do. Yeah, you've made it it clear that's never the the, the discussion. But now you put it in our head. (laughs) You take the why out, was it? (laughs) I just leave you with why. I leave you with why. Oh, God. Well, I don't think anybody wants me on their softball team. After that, they were like, "Mm -hmm." no, they do. That's exactly it. It's not about even scoring runs. It's about just content. So this is perfect. Well, just for the content. And that was when I was in my 30s. So can you imagine now that I'm in my late 40s? I'd pull a hamstring every time I tried to move. Probably. It's like an entire team of des- designated hitters. Like nobody can like go out and actually do the physical part. Nobody can run. Where are the games being played? I, I saw the email. No, we used to play. At, they used to play at the, the park down yeah. here and Park Road Park and some. I think it's usually around. You know, John Carter is kind of like Walter Matthau. He's been you know managing for like you know as Brubaker or whatever for like thirty years for TV. So this is a media team. softball league. Yeah, I mean this. Literally, I mean, I know we're going to talk about Jim Barrel, like Jim Barrel and John Stokes, and played with those guys way back in the day. I mean, I know this for at least 25 plus years has been going on. I kind of feel like we need to join this team. We literally have the artichokies. Like, we, why we are we not doing well, we could, He said we could merge teams, too, because they probably don't have enough player for FNZ, so it could be some merger of all that. Oh. But I think the problem is just fielding a team. I don't have time. I don't have sat. It's like Saturdays. I wish we could do it like at ten o'clock on weekdays, like when we get off the show. Yeah, here. get off the air. We'll go practice in the field. Go to snooze. I'm go play to a snooze game. afterwards. <laughs> I'm in for all of it. For that, I would do it. We could call it the WFN Zoki Artichokes. <laughs> ah, <laughs> one big merger. <laughs> Six thirteen on News Talk eleven ten WBT. Hey, look! There's Johnny Bench and the chicken. <laughs> The baseball bunch. That's right. Traffic check right now <laughs> on a Tuesday morning. Time for some twib notes. There's twib the deep drive to center field, hook and foul. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all. So you say, how about that? How about that? Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> she fell oh, running to first. Boomer Von Cannon doing <laughs> traffic with a Budweiser in his hand. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I wish Harry was still around then. Well, he could call a baseball game. <laughs> yeah, I've been gone for a while, Bill. It's been a while now. It's not been new. A while. It's been, been a, a while. Bit, a, bit a minute. It's been a minute say. or two, yeah. <laughs> hey, we mentioned Jim Barrel this morning, too. When he left, I said, now, Jim, who am I going to talk baseball with now? I mean, Jim Barrel. He was, we'll talk about him later, but uh, between uh, his faith conversations and baseball, those were the two oh, go to topics. And airplanes. He loved to go to the yeah, airport and right. watch the planes oh, gosh, land. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Love the aircraft. Yes. Out of the observation area. Yeah. I'll tell you, it would, you know, and Jim and, and Mike Doyle were getting some intense arguments over baseball. It would be great, mm-hmm. man. Be great. Mm-hmm. Love you, Jim. Love you.
Well, this is not uh, the segment that I thought we'd be doing on uh, Tuesday morning, February 6th, but uh, you never know in this life. And about uh, midway through yesterday, I got a note from John Hancock that uh, told me that that he heard that Jim Barrow, longtime WBT newsman, a longtime anchor, and really just a beacon of light in this building, he passed away yesterday at the age of 71 after a, a very quick but aggressive battle with mantle cell lymphoma. We know this because uh, Jim's daughter, Amy, posted on Facebook yesterday. She said, I will miss this man so, so much. He passed this morning from an exceedingly aggressive uh, lymphoma. He was completely healthy a month ago. Mm. I am the luckiest person in the world to have called him my father. So based on everything that, that we've heard, um, it was a month ago, Jim was just his normal self. We saw Jim uh, here at the 100th anniversary a couple of years ago. He uh, was on stage with Pete Callender to present John Stokes uh, into the WBT Hall of Fame. Um, that's the last time I talked to Jim, I believe. I mean, we would trade messages every once in a while on social media, and a lot of us in the building um, would still keep in touch from time to time. But uh, this is a guy who started here in 1985. So 31 years, 85 through 2016 is when he did his last newscast. And uh, Jim Zoki, uh, you know, you, you work back, uh, you kind of split time. You're in here with us, but you're back in the newsroom, which is also the sports room. And I was talking to Boomer earlier, and the traffic department's all in that little, that little cluster. And so uh, you guys interact with the news guys much more than Beth and I do and Bernie. But uh, you spent a long time back in that newsroom when you would see Jim Barrel every day. Mm-hmm. And he's... Um I mean, you can't even use the word coworker. It's not even close. I don't even think uh, friend is enough. It's like a family member has passed away. Aww. And Jim was someone, um, I think I've only talked to him once since the uh, the 100th, um, but we would talk, you know, a couple times a year. And once, I remember this is probably about three or four years ago, Sandra and I are standing in the kitchen. I go, oh, it's Jim Barrow calling. It's just cause it's like, <laughs> it's like a twice a year occurrence, maybe. And so I just put him on speakerphone because we were standing in there, and Sandra worked here for many years. And so I uh, put him on speakerphone. He goes... I, I mean, he goes, I'm happy to talk to you, but I just want to let you know I accidentally called you, <laughs> but now that I got you. So long story short, we talk and we hang up. I looked at the phone and go, we just talked for an hour, standing in the kitchen, just shooting the breeze, because <laughs> Jim had moved to Hendersonville. And it was just an accidental call. It was an accidental call, and he was driving down the road, and but he would just, like, he would call, and he would say, I was just thinking about you two, and he would just call and just call to check in on us and speak and catch up, and, um, but... Uh, you, we were talking a minute ago about his love of aviation, going to the airport, a lot of long baseball conversations. And I remember he would go to different ballparks. He went down to the, the new ballpark in Miami a couple years ago. Um, and a, a guy, of uh, first and foremost, of deep faith. I mean, would truly bring his Bible to work and go to lunch in his car out in the parking lot and study the Bible. Oh, wow. I mean, to the point where I think almost David Chadwick like could have been a pastor as far as just his depth of knowledge. I remember one day walking into the news booth back where Jeff's working this morning saying, what are you studying today? He goes, well, I'm, I'm justified. I want to be sanctified. I mean, he would just like go into such detail. And he, he gave us books. Um, talk about your love of books. And so I just, um, that came so out of the blue. I mean, I had no idea that he got ill a month ago. So I feel bad not knowing that, but I'm guessing it kept it somewhat private, but it came so unexpectedly, and I said he couldn't have been very old, and then I think um, Sandra said someone said he just, just turned 71 mm-hmm. in January. So young. Yeah. 
Now, we had uh, a colleague. She's long since gone from here. Uh, she co-owns a farm now. But back when, when I used to be the producer on this show with Al Gardner back in 97, and you know who I'm about to talk about, but her name uh, was Lauren Fox then. She's now Lauren Fox Pardue. But she was a producer in this building for about five or six years. Um, I want to read you what Lauren posted about Jim Barrel yesterday. She said, Jim Barrel, you are the sweetest and kindest person I have ever known. You were one of my very favorite partners of working at WBT. I loved your calm, loving, and thoughtful nature. In the past few years, I loved your support and enthusiasm for my life and your friends' lives. I love seeing your gorgeous pictures that you so sweetly shared with us. You were truly a gift, a real blessing, and I'm so glad I had an absolute honor of knowing you. You will truly be missed. Oh, that's a beautiful tribute. And I, I, I love that because she obviously met Jim by working in this building, but as, as Zoki sort of talked about, Jim would keep in touch with people and send notes from now and then and he had retired to Hendersonville and and really seemed like Jim was living his best retirement life right doing what you want to do in your later years after uh, a life well spent working as a professional and um, you know Lauren hasn't worked in this building since uh, I want to say Lauren's last year was 99 maybe Um, so she's been gone for a long time and you see how much she was touched by a guy like Jim 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 Barrow when she was here so um, that struck me yesterday. And I, I also said to Bernie when I got in this morning, I, I said, uh, you know, I've been working here for a while. When I when I first started working here, when people who, like Jim Barrel, would pass away, they'd be people that I maybe had met but I'd heard of, that I'd heard mm-hmm. audio of. And, um, and I said this to my wife yesterday, too. I said, you know... <laughs> We're not getting any younger because, unfortunately, uh, this is starting to happen. And now it's people that I very much worked with and Zoki very much worked with. I mean, we've lost Jerry V last year and Danny Fontana back in 2015. And even people like Henry Bogan um, that, I, that I knew pretty well, Ray, Ray Gooding. But now we're starting to have voices that you feel like you just talked to yesterday and you realize how fleeting life is. And you need to say those things mm-hmm. that you think sometimes. Beth Troutman has taught me when you think when, when you think something positive about somebody, tell them right there Mm -hmm. and uh, that's kind of an overarching uh, rule for life I think if you're thinking about somebody even if you accidentally call them like Jim called Jim Mm -hmm. (laughs) what a great phone call and what a great tribute to Jim Barrel you know you accidentally called him and you went hmm this is kind of cool we can catch up I mean it was just um, shooting the breeze and that's what shooting the breeze is like next thing you know an hour has passed by just uh, Catching up, and he was, you know, Pete obviously came back to WBT from Asheville, and Jim was doing some part-time news mm-hmm. work, and we talked about that one of the times we spoke, and uh, so he kept his hand in it a little bit, but he just, you know, I think about him and John Stokes working here, I mean, think in this business, if you worked at one radio station for five years, ten years, those guys both put in 30, 31 years here, almost simultaneously at, at the exact same 30 years, uh, so I always think of those two together, you know, like the, it's like, it's like Ruth and yeah, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. I mean, just like just like the Ironmen that that's worked here for so long. So I just you know John in the mornings and Jim mostly in the afternoons. But just like if you listen to the station at all, just those voices just become kind of the soundtrack of what WBT is in your ears. I know we got to go to news, but when I did uh, the Century podcast with John Stokes about three years ago, you know uh, Stokes was going into the Hall of Fame, and and uh, it was it was not easy to get Jim to get John Stokes to come back here and do that. Those who know John, he's not really a man of many words outside of his newscast. Did you tell him it would be cake or something? Like how did you? <laughs> no, he said I, he said I've thought a lot about this, and I'd like to do it with Jim. Oh, and so they both came in. And to your point, yeah. uh, Zoki, about the fact that those are two sort of synonymous. Yes. Um, uh, 
it's Stokes by morning and, and, and Barrel by afternoon, you know, sort of the, the bookends of the WBT Newsday for so many years. So we'll talk more about uh, Jim Barrel, people who knew him, and uh, I've got a tribute that uh, we'll run uh, towards the end of the 7 o'clock hour about his uh, time here, uh, 1985 through 2016. That, my friends, is a run. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Like the 4th of July Hey Uncle Sam put your name at the top of his list And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist and Another headline I did not expect to be bringing to you today, but here we are. Country superstar Toby Keith has passed away at the age of 62 following stomach cancer. Wow. That that one was uh, hard to hear because he his music was such a soundtrack of my late teenage college early 2000s years in fact one of the first concert dates that my husband and i went to we went to see toby keith at the at what is now pnc um, music pavilion and i mean just think about the the legacy of music of just fun music that he left behind the kind of music that just made you it just put a smile on your face like i was thinking about the song you know beer for my horses yes. and just singing the beer for my horses <laughs> you know and, and, and it was a, i mean it's so it's we didn't talk before this but that that's sort of me to me the under the radar song that i always loved by With him willie and, nelson willie nelson one of the great choruses. I love how they say horses right here. Horses singing. Whiskey for my men. Beer for my horses. Horses. <laughs> and there was something so beautiful. And I, the song, I love this bar. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. another great Toby Keith song, Red Solo Cup, became... Okay. All right. So I had that one queued up. Yeah. I actually had both those queued up. We did not talk about this. But I mean, We're... this song... Yeah. Oh, man. How can you not love this yeah. song? Now, Red Solo Cup is the best receptacle for barbecues, tailgates, fairs, and festivals. And you, sir, do not have a pair of testicles. <laughs> can we say that on the radio? Oh, he just did. Hey, Toby said it, not us. Good morning. And disposable. In 14 years, they are decomposable. And unlike my home, they are not foreclosable. Freddie Mac kissed my ass. Oh! <laughs> Red Solo Cup. This is my favorite song. That's a great one. Early birds and all-nighters And the veterans talk about their battle scars Mm -hmm. I love this bar He had another one called uh, Drinks After Work. The guy had a hobby. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, a lot of drinking songs. I'll tell you the other song that I loved, and it may, maybe it was the first song that I really loved of his was How Do You Like Me Now? Oh, yeah. That was the song that everybody, song. everybody like, that. if you went through a, a breakup, you're like, yeah, how do you like me now? You know, it was kind of that mm-hmm. that kind of anthem feeling. But there, he just had such great... Feel good songs, just the songs yeah. that made you patriotic, songs that made you love. I ain't as good as I want. Oh, and of course. See, just happy. This will put a, sm- a smile on your face. Because you can relate. You can relate to his music. Because we're old. <laughs> you know, I was talking earlier. He was a big time country star before. 9-11, but then in the years following 9-11, he, he released that song, The Angry American, and then sort of hit a different stratosphere. Well, he also had that other patriotic song, was it American Soldier? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That he just, he paid so much tribute to our veterans, so much tribute to the, the people um, who were serving our country, and there was something that that he tapped into that was just really lovely. So, uh, passed away at the age of 62, battling stomach cancer. And if you've seen any of his recent public appearances, uh, he was obviously uh, battling a a tough fight uh, with that. We we mentioned Jim Barrel, and uh, Jim Barrel, a month ago, seemed fine, and then got this uh, lymphoma diagnosis Mm -hmm. in the last few weeks. So, uh, that was a short battle, but uh, Toby Keith had been uh, diagnosed with stomach cancer for several years and uh, had been... um, and, and, you know, limited public appearances following that. But uh, 62 years old for Toby Keith. That is so young. Is, when you think, young. you know, just not long ago, a month or two ago, Eric Montross, yeah. of course, uh, is in his 50s. Just an aggressive, I think, nine-month battle with cancer. So mm-hmm. it's um, a, lot, a lot of rough stuff out there. If you're just joining us, a uh, tough day across the country, and especially here at One Julian Price Place. Uh, we learned yesterday that Jim Barrow, longtime WBT newsman, passed away at the age of 71 yesterday. And then this morning, uh, getting the word that Toby Keith, a uh, country star, uh, dead at the age of 62. So uh, our thoughts are with their families, obviously, and we'll continue uh, throughout the morning uh, talking about both of them, no doubt. News Talk 1110 WBT Traffic Check, and here's Boomer Von Cannon. You got it, Bo. To- Toby Keith did a, uh, did a duo with uh, Rod Stewart. What made Milwaukee famous? <laughs> wow, no, I don't wow, know. Wow, that's that a one. deep cut, Boomer. Oh, check it out sometime you get a chance. It's something else. <laughs> <laughs> what made Milwaukee famous? Mm. Yes, sir. You like me now. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way. Hey, great joke. That was great. What a great song. See, these are the days I think I think Toby Keith would want us to celebrate his life by playing his song. Oh, absolutely. So I, I, I saw this yesterday, and I've been wondering, um, you know, what the the, the Super Bowl uh, ad scene was going to look like this year. I was I was talking, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day, but I, I do not understand this new um, wave that we're in over the last ten years or so. When I guess it's it's partly because you know everybody wants it on their phone immediately, but why do we need to see all of the Super Bowl ads before they actually air? Yeah, I don't understand that either because my favorite part of the Super Bowl is the commercials. And I know that that's silly, but I'm that person who's at the Super Bowl party who's like, shh, 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 
I want to see the Doritos ad. <laughs> and then you talk during the game. Yeah. yeah, and then I talk during the game, and then I applaud at the instant replays. <laughs> I've been to way too many couple Super Bowl parties. Like, oh, good. But I do. I, I love the halftime show, yep. and I love the commercials, because in past years, that's when you see some of the most creative advertising. You see the ones that, 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 that pull at your heartstrings. You see the stories that make you laugh. You see the ones that are a little off color and make you think, what were they thinking? And... You know, regardless, you end up having a story to tell about some creative ad. But Variety, which is the uh, entertainment um, trade magazine, if you will, that everybody in Hollywood wants to, to take a look at. Listen to this headline. Super Bowl advertisers poised to play things safe, fearing social media backlash. Obviously, after what happened with the uh, the Bud Light story, what gosh, that's almost been a year now. Mm-hmm. If you really think about it, that 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 whole thing started. But people now, advertisers, it used to be that you would want your commercial to go viral, good or bad. That mm-hmm. you'd want people to be chattering about your ad, good or bad, because it means that people paid attention. And now people are fearing the backlash, fearing the boycotts, fearing the negative social media talk. So everybody is. Is they're assuming most ad executives for a lot of these commercials are playing it safe, not only because they fear they're fearful of the backlash, but according to Variety, because people are so uptight because of political polarization and because of the state of the economy that all people want is relief. They don't want to be hashing it out over commercials that politicize a room. They want to feel. A deep breath when they're watching the ads. Puppies. The puppy bowls. Everyone likes the puppies. The Clydesdales. Clydesdales. The Clydesdales. Yeah. Clydesdales. I wonder. See, I haven't heard anything about what Bud Budweiser is or isn't doing yet, but I wonder if they go back to that. They're bringing them back. That That was the whisper that I heard, that they're bringing back the horses. Okay. Well, there you go. They just answered my question. Because that, that would be, to me, the safest route to go for them. Ed McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest things that they are going to, that, that they apparently are saying is going to happen during the Super Bowl, and let's keep in mind that 30-second ads for this Super Bowl run around $7 million for a 30-second ad. One of the big things that we're going to see, the big blockbuster movies that are expected to, to open up in the, you know, like May and June and July ads for the big blockbuster movies are going to be playing but i kind of want the ones that you're just like oh, what i mean i hope that I hope i'm sure that there will they, be some do you remember i know that this one's weird doritos had a whole commercial um uh, they, they had a contest for the best doritos ad and the one that aired during the super bowl was a guy sitting at his desk eating doritos and he got the cheesy fingers <laughs> and he had this like hole in his wall that was called the dorito cleaner and he stuck his finger in the hole and there was a person on the other oh, side of it that cleaned that. his finger yeah. it was so weird <laughs> but I'm still talking about it, and that was like 2014, and I still remember it. Almost well, like yesterday, I played the Cat Herder commercial. I mean, and that, that was a Super Bowl ad. Yeah, that was like almost 20 years ago now. We have uh, Eugene coming in on Friday. Eugene and I will randomly just walk up to each other and go, Puppy Monkey Baby. <laughs> Do you remember the Puppy Monkey Baby? It was like this weird commercial. Actually, I was just looking up to see what it was. I forget what, it was. Right. I forget what the ad was, but it was, it was Puppy Monkey Baby because it was a Mountain Dew commercial. Well, so they, they wanted something that was like, what do you like, Puppy Monkey Babies? 
Because that's baby. all things people like. <laughs> Puppy that. monkey I baby. That, Jim. <laughs> I know people are tired of hearing this, but uh, I also, uh, I think it was yesterday I saw that the whether or not they are going to play it safe or not is one thing, but the ad rate to advertise mm-hmm. in this Super Bowl mm-hmm. is sky high, higher than it's ever been yeah. because of what Taylor Swift is bringing to the table. Oh, it's because of Taylor Swift. So maybe it's even more than $7 million a 30-second ad because Taylor Swift upped it a, a well, half a million. Because you have all these different these new eyes that wouldn't be there otherwise. I mean, the Super Bowl's big in of itself, but now you've got a whole nother subset of people that are going to be interested in this. So, um, way to bring it back to politics. Yeah. Oh no, you uh, didn't. But <laughs> I hope she makes somebody a surprise will, appearance. Please let her sing during the halftime show. Come on, Usher. Seven o'clock awaits on WBT. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, this is Good Morning BT with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. Now we're up to a very special debut song on AT40. Only once before have we had so special a song debut in the countdown. That was at the end of last year when over 40 mostly British stars under the name Band-Aid recorded Do They Know It's Christmas. The proceeds from that record have been donated to help feed famine victims in Ethiopia. Well, a couple of months ago, American recording artists responded. It's been well publicized, but I'd like to do a brief recap. Entertainer and social activist Harry Belafonte, manager Ken Cragen, and producer Quincy Jones assembled a group of 45 of the biggest names in American pop music. They recorded a song co-written by Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson titled, We Are the World. Now, the proceeds of its sale will go to the hungry and needy not only in Ethiopia, but throughout Africa. The artists call themselves United Support of Artists for Africa, USA for Africa. Before I play their hit, let me tell you in order whose solo voices you'll hear. The song begins with Lionel Richie, followed by Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers, James Ingram, Tina Turner, Billy Joel, and then Michael Jackson singing the chorus, joined by Diana Ross. The next verse begins with Dionne Warwick, then Willie Nelson, Al Jarreau, Bruce Springsteen, Kenny Loggins, Steve Perry, Daryl Hall, Michael Jackson again, Huey Lewis, Cyndi Lauper, and Kim Carnes. Then there's a full 45-voice chorus, followed by Bob Dylan's emotional plea, more chorus, then Ray Charles. Stevie Wonder and Bruce Springsteen trade lines, and finally, Ray Charles again, leading everyone, singing their hearts out. Debuting in the Hot 100, all the way up at number 21, here's USA for Africa. We are the world. There comes a time when we heed a certain call, when the world must come together as one. There are people dying, oh, when it's time to lend a hand to life. Greatest gift of all We can't go on Pretending day by day That someone Somewhere will soon make a change We all a part of God's great big family And the truth You know love is all we need 
40 years ago. That's crazy. That actually hurts. 40 years ago, they recorded this song. And I'm playing this because I told Beth this weekend, I texted you and I said, I'm in the middle of watching this new Netflix documentary. It's called The Greatest Night in Pop. And what was so weird when you texted me, I had just started it. So we were on the same weird brainwave again. <laughs> if I you, thought you guys had a pretty busy weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. This is one of those things where once I started, I had to finish. Didn't matter what else I had to do on Saturday. I had to sit down and finish this. It's about an hour and a half. And uh, the best I can describe it, Zoke, is if you, you like the way, you know, the treatment they gave to The Last Dance. Mm-hmm. Now, it's much shorter than The Last Dance because that was, what, 10 hours long or so. Yeah, it was like 9, 10 episodes. But they basically, uh, they went and put this, uh, this documentary together for Netflix called The Greatest Night in Pop. And they have unveiled footage that no one's seen for 40 years. And yes. that's the way The Last Dance was. We all know the Michael Jordan story and the championships and all of that. But uh, during the pandemic, you know, a whole new or couple of generations got to watch that through the eyes of seeing footage as if you were there. And I think that's one of the things that makes it rewatchable and makes it made it so popular. But for an hour and a half, they have footage of these unbelievable stars. I mean, he just mentioned them there. Casey Kasem did. And all just interacting in this room. And it's fascinating to see because there's a they, they hung a sign. And I would heard this before. They hung a sign at the top of the door on the night of the American Music Awards that year, because that's the only night they could get them all together in one place. But the sign above the door, a handwritten note says, check your ego at the door. And to watch these super superstars sort of interact and there are no there are no agents there are no handlers it's just them but they have footage of all this and you can hear the the conversations and how this all got put together mind you so they did the american music awards then they all went to this recording studio a&m uh, a&m studios there in hollywood and they recorded all night I couldn't believe the backstory. I mean, I remember We Are the World coming out because it was such a big deal. We were, I mean, I was like seven or seven when it came out. Um, and it was that song that stayed in your head. But I had no idea that they did it all in one night because the American Music Awards were happening. And this is back in the day when they organized all of this without cell phones, without computers. You didn't have email. So this is all people leaving voicemails. Landlines. And so Lionel Richie and, and and Michael Jackson got together and wrote this song, and then they were able to get all of these people together. And Lionel Richie, the night, you know, he wrote the song, and the night that they recorded this, he was the host mm-hmm. of the American Music Awards and won, like, six awards that night. They all leave the American Music Awards. They show up at A&M, A&M Records. Quincy Jones is there with, like Bo said, the sign that said, check your ego at the door. And they all come in exhausted already and record throughout the entire night. Most of the people didn't leave. I think the last person left the studio at 8 a.m. the next morning. No, I have a couple of clips from it because there's one guy who left. You know, these are the stories you learn about. I've heard some of them over the years. Like I knew to a degree how Huey Lewis Got the part standing next to Michael Jackson. Which was only because Prince didn't show up. Oh, did I just give it away? Did I just give it away? Sorry, sorry, sorry. We had this talk during the contest (laughs) last week about (laughs) giving the answers away. That's one of them. That's one of them. But the one about the guy who left. Uh, So Prince never showed up, but there's one guy who was there, very famous, um, but he left because he he was fed up with the whole process. Yeah, he just was like, nope, I'm out. But hang on, because I got a couple of clips from this. Oh, sorry, I talked too much. No, it's okay. If you haven't seen it. 
Uh, you need to watch it because uh, it's fascinating. If, if you grew up in the I 80s, or you, I mean, and it's not just the 80s. I mean, these are all time stars are that are icons. in this room. Icons. Se- icons. Seven fourteen on News Talk eleven ten WBT. Bo and Beth and the Zoak and Bernie and in the traffic center. Here's Boomer Von Cannon. Mr. Genius of Quincy Jones. Yes, that, sir. They blended it all together. Oh, he was so great in all of it, too. Oh, like, yes. cool as a cucumber. Yes. yes. And like Beth said, uh, Lionel Richie, oh. you know, had to host the awards that night. And the, and if you watch this, he's basically going backstage between each commercial break saying, all right, is everything going to work out? You know, yeah, man. planning. And they were Amazing. using walkie-talkies. You know, they didn't have phones back then, but they were talking to the people at the studio. I got exhausted watching it. <laughs> it is well worth your time if you haven't seen it. Uh, well, like I said, yeah, uh, coming oh, up, I'll play really a couple of these these clips because it's it's really, really good stuff. I had a chance to sit down with Kenny uh, Rogers not long after that happened. He said the magic in that room was unreal, like anything he'd ever experienced. Oh, I loved watching him in this. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, the reason I think that they all stayed overnight yeah. and, and put the time in, despite the fact that it was uncomfortable and you know they were antsy, is because mm-hmm. they realized how big a deal this was that yeah. all of these people, once in a lifetime gathering, and all these years later, 40 years later, here we are talking about it. So Super they were right. Bowl of recording sessions. That's Holy true. moly. Yeah. We Here it comes, here it comes. Best part. But if you just believe, we can fall. Uh, I love Bruce Hornsby. Look how you had that queued up. I actually think Cindy Lauper is one of the secret weapons in this song. Right here. Right here. That part where she went, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. If you watch the uh, the documentary we're talking about, The Greatest Night in Pop on Netflix, that was ad-libbed. And yes. They, and they and they had her recording that, Cindy Lauper. You know, it's Michael and then Huey and that, that group right there. But then there was this background noise. Oh, I was going to tell the same story. <laughs> I love that part. Go, 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 go. And I'm not giving re- it away. They realized that she was wearing all this jewelry that was shaking. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about that you, if you, you know the song and everybody knows the song. And if you love that song, like so many of us did, all these years later on the 40th anniversary of its recording, this new Netflix doc really sort of shows you behind the scenes of how it all came to be, which is fascinating. Well, and they kept hearing this. They were like, what is that? Is it angels? It's this dinging. What is this noise that we're hearing in the background? And they kept like the guys in the production booth are you know, twisting all the little knobs trying to figure out how to get this background noise to go away. But it was her microphone picking up her jewelry. <laughs> she it, has is so it my jewelry? jewelry? I'll take my jewelry off. Because <laughs> she has this like thick, thick, thick New York accent. And do you know the greatest thing about li- watching this? Because all of these superstars were in the same room. They were all so nervous to sing in front of each other. Mm-hmm. And that, like the humanity of that, just the real human, like Huey Lewis, they interview him. He talked about that his knees were weak <laughs> when he realized that he was going to have to do a solo. And they all got each other's autographs. Oh, How cute God. is that? So the Huey part, you knew I was going to play that part of it. But uh, but Huey Lewis, so I never knew this, uh, or I knew parts of this, but not the full story. So they wanted Prince to be on this album. And Prince was at the awards, but there was a rivalry that was going on between Prince and Michael Jackson, and uh, Prince decided he sent Sheila E. over, and you know he, they did everything together back then. So Sheila E. showed up and said Prince was coming, and then Prince called, and then he said, "I want to be and I want to do my a guitar solo by myself in a separate room." So they were originally going to have Prince record the Huey Lewis part, uh-huh. 
or, or should I say, Huey Lewis ended up singing Prince's part. But the way they, the way this came about, I'm going to play this clip right here because they give you the background. Uh, and the first guy you'll hear here is Kenny Loggins. Michael came to me and said, Prince isn't coming. So we have a, a spot on the line that needs a soloist. Who do you recommend? And I said, Huey Lewis. <laughs> Huey Lewis has a great solo voice. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, Quincy wants you. So he brought me to Quincy. He says, Smelly, come over here. Get Michael. And he said, Sing the line for Huey. There's no way we can fall. But if you just believe, no way we can fall. Hello. Hello. So now I get Prince's line. I mean, those are pretty big shoes to fill. Yeah. Can I go now? Oh, no. <laughs> From that moment on, I was nervous out of my brain. Oh, look, I gave it away again. <laughs> How does it end? <laughs> it ends with a song called We Are the World, guys. But, but one of my other favorite parts, and these are the little sort of nuances, because uh, you think about the, the sheer star power of the people in this room. And there's mm-hmm. one particular guy mm-hmm. that just finally at one point said, all right, I'm done with this. I'm leaving. Well, and it was all because of little little Stevie Wonder. <laughs> yeah, so here's this part. That's the translation. Stevie said, I think we need to have some Swahili somewhere in this song. I think we should sing Tutu Why No No Willie Moingo. I was back in the corner of the room, just happened to be pretty close to Waylon Jennings, and uh, I just turned me go, well, ain't no good old boy ever sung Swahili. I think I'm out of here. Just a good old boy. Never meaning no harm. Waylon walks out of the door. I'm not dealing with this. I don't know what that means, but I am not going to say it, and we lost Waylon right there. <laughs> He left. <laughs> he's in his hat. You know, he's just standing there in a corner like going, what is going on? And just walked out. And it's just like this big wide shot of this whole group of superstars. And he just like walks down. Did he ever risers. sing any part of it? No. no. Well, he didn't do anything? Gone. Why didn't he do some other part? I don't know. He just didn't want to be part of it anymore. And that, maybe he was tired. Maybe he's just grumpy dude. I don't know. What a thing to walk out of. I know. I, he's got to regret that a little bit, right? He went back to Hazard. Right. <laughs> Can't you imagine the way he used to narrate the Dukes of Hazard? And just like that, old, old Waylon went back to Hazard. Just like that, he was out. <laughs> See, you, you guys got to watch this. If we have not oh, I would definitely up, watch it. Is, it is good Sounds stuff. Great. Okay. Um, I have to read a quick email from Lane. Okay. (laughs) Really fast. (laughs) Lane says, I'm 62 and that song still gives me chills. Incredible. Bo, with Beth sitting next to you, you might want to start your jokes with the punchline so she doesn't give it away on you. (laughs) Well, you you have to remember, for three and a half years, that was what happened to me every single day with Pat McCrory. (laughs) Oh. Oh, no. Did I just get a comparison? He was was built for this. (laughs) Oh. I'd say it happens like once once in a blue moon. With with, with every day with him, I would tease the next break. Pat could have a contest tomorrow to see who can interrupt Bofan. I'm pulling a whaling, guys. I'm out of here. <laughs> when we come back, when we come back, uh, our tribute to uh, the late Jim Barrel, who we lost yesterday at the age of 71. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
For over three decades, the voice of newsman Jim Barrell was a welcome daily fixture on WBT. We bring you news every 30 minutes, whenever it breaks, and anytime at WBT.com. I'm Jim Barrell, News Talk 1110, WBT. His inviting style was unmistakable, respected, and dependable. He arrived at one Julian Price place in 1985. WBT was really where I wanted to be, right? And I, and I knew a lot about its reputation being the first station down here, and uh, it was it was great to finally be a, a member of the news team here. Over the course of 31 years, behind the microphone at the anchor desk and out on the reporting beat, if it was a big story, the odds were good. Jim Barrell was covering it. This is Jim Barrell. I'm with WBT Radio in Charlotte. Yes. Are you one of the people who are? Uh, holding the hostages. Could you tell me why you're doing it? Because we have information that could put Hubert Stone's station of the Sheriff's Department here in Lumberton away for a long time. And is this a is this a conflict between the, the Indians and the local uh, police establishment? Yes, it is. Uh, as you just heard, Jim Baker found guilty on all 24 counts in his fraud and conspiracy trial. H.A. will have more in the new news. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And that immediacy which WBT News is always a part of. The jury is coming back in. Something's going to happen. The jury returned the unanimous verdict not guilty of the first degree murder of Sharika Adams. It's 105. Good morning. I'm Scott Kilgore in the WBT Storm Center, continuing to bring you extended coverage on Hurricane Hugo. Hugo has come ashore. It came ashore near Charleston around the Isle of Palms. That happened at about midnight. When the eye moved ashore, the storm was packing sustained winds of 135 miles an hour. Just north of Charleston in Georgetown is WBT's Jim Barrel. Our wind gauge got blown off the roof here of the uh, Georgetown the County Courthouse about an hour ago, so we really can't tell at this point how strong the winds are. The last recorded uh, gust that we got was somewhere in the vicinity of about 80, and that was, as I say, about an hour ago. Uh, all, we can do, all we can tell is that uh, the wind is blowing very, very hard. You can't really see anything outside now because it's, it's so dark. Uh, there's no power really anywhere except for the emergency power that's on in this building. So if you look out the window, you just see the silhouettes of trees blowing and very little else. And, of course, you hear the, the high, gusty winds, and uh, you can see some of the rain as you open the door, and the light from inside is shining on the drops as they blow horizontally. WBT's Jim Barrell is at the computer right now with the latest information. Jim? WBT Election Central. We're still waiting for that last precinct, which is, as uh, Bill Culp told us, precinct number 54, uh, to determine uh, the outcome of the Sue Myrick-Harvey-Gantt race, which appears to be determined already, with uh, Sue Myrick 51% of the vote, Harvey-Gantt 49% of the vote. We'll pitch it back to John Stokes here. Jim, if you've got any information uh, on uh, other races in Cornelius, Davidson, Huntersville, Matthews, Pineville, uh, other places like that, have those uh, started to come in yet? Yeah, some of, some of those have been extremely slow getting into the computer, but we do have some. 47,310 for Sue Myrick, 46,300 for Harvey Gantt. And what we've been calling uh, tonight is a huge, huge upset in the race for the mayor of Charlotte. Can Jim hear us? Uh, yes, he uh, can. Jim, if, what do, you, do you have the finals yet on the at-large council? Yes, we do. They're, those are all in now. I'll run those down again. Al Russo was a top vote-getter. Now, this is for four seats on council. Al Russo was the number one uh, candidate with 17%. Uh, Richard Vinroot, 16%. Gus Campbell, John A. Gus Campbell, third, with 15%. Just joining us. The news is that a DC-9, uh, a U.S. Air DC-9 is what we've heard. Uh, flight number 1016 went down with 55 people on board, five crew, 50 passengers, originating in Columbia, uh, flying into Charlotte. 
came in in a, a brief thunderstorm that popped up in the area at the time, which was shortly before 7 o'clock. Uh, for whatever reason, the pilot was asked to go around again, uh, a routine procedure, and on the go around, that is, uh, uh, instead of landing, he uh, gave it power and started back up again. That's when he, uh, he crashed into a field not far from Wallace Neal. Uh, we've had uh, various reports from eyewitnesses of uh, people coming from the scene. There was one uh, person who said he saw a man whose clothing was on fire. They helped him. There have been other reports of people taken alive and talking from the scene of the crash. Okay, we're going to go back to Brad Schultz now, who's on the scene. Brad? We just finished a quick briefing here from Jerry Orr, who's the aviation director. Uh, he did confirm to us uh, those buses are being used to bring the injured out. As for numbers, uh, we, we quizzed him again and again and again as to how many people may have died in this uh, crash of uh, Flight 1016, and we're being told that at least 10 people are dead. The number was hovering also right around... Looks like a couple of the uh, solid rocket boosters uh, blew away from the side of the shuttle in an explosion. Flight controllers here looking very carefully at the situation. You talk about uh, the Challenger. I just moved here from Orlando like three months earlier, and it was the first launch since I'd left Orlando, and I'd covered a lot of space launches. I was just watching it, and they cut away about 15 seconds before the thing blew up. You know, say, okay, I'm uh, Rob Navius, uh, Kennedy Space Center. Uh, they're headed to orbit. And then we were sort of watching, and then suddenly the thing blew up. And, and we were all in the newsroom. And for about 30 seconds, nobody said anything. We were just sort of watching. And finally, somebody said, we better get this on the air. Because we'd already broken away. Coverage was over. You know, everybody thought the thing was going. And at that point, I think for the first time in my life, uh, I had to get on and say something. about. I remember my voice actually breaking because I was the emotion. You know, I couldn't help it. It was just it was talking about, you know, you heard the shuttle go up a few minutes ago and uh, it just exploded. Uh, and... Then you cut over to the, the coverage from the network as they follow up and everything. But you you are affected by it in the anchor chair. It's a little bit different when you have to go out and cover it. You know, you're gathering information, following up on stories. Uh, and both of them are difficult to do. But at the same time, you're involved in the act of gathering the news to make sure that people find out quickly about what's happening and you know you try to do as good a job as you can getting the information to people and that's mainly what it's all about james e jim barrel passed away on the morning of monday february 5th 2024 following a short battle with cancer uh, if you had to have the microphone for a moment the platform to talk to those who listened to you over the years and uh, you became so so much a part of their lives. Uh, is there something you'd like to say to those people, uh, a message to them? Well, we get phone calls uh, in between those newscasts and over the course of 30 years, you talk to a heck of a lot of people, some of them the same people, but they're all nice. Well, okay, not all. <laughs> <laughs> Most Depends of, on the story. Predominantly, and, and I'm sure there's some out there that I talked to over the years, and uh, some of them are gone now, but they're representative of the audience out there. But you, you never know how many people are actually listening. And, and so when you hear from some of them, you feel like, okay, they're representative of a certain segment of the listenership out there. And, and when they have nice things to say and give you positive feedback uh, that's good even the negative feedback a lot of times you deserve it you know but um, it's just nice to hear from people if they didn't care 
Then I'd that's be worse. worse. Yeah, that's worse. Yes. <laughs> so when they they take the time to call, and they always did. They, you know, we we didn't even have time to answer the phone as much as we would like to have. But uh, just the people out, just our listeners. You know, they tune in, and they, and they're the the folks that are bread and butter. You know, so and they're just like us. And so you, you you're really trying to cater to people that are just human beings like like we are, and and that's the bottom line. As I said earlier, Jim was hired in the mid '80s by Jefferson Pilot Communications. He was an early newsman for John Boy and Billy when they were on WBCY. He became a dedicated reporter, a longtime afternoon anchor, and eventually WBT news director. His last newscast for The Great Colossus was in 2016. But most importantly, Jim would tell you he was a husband, he was a father, and a man of God. Thank you, Jim. And heaven, you have a new anchor tonight. I'm Jim Barrell, News Talk 1110, WBT. And that's our tribute to a a good friend around here and just a a legendary voice. And uh, we're going to miss him. Uh, Lost Jim Barrell yesterday, as we said there, at the age of 71. News Talk 1110, 99.3, WBT. Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman here. And I'm uh, looking for the winger. And here is the winger. Had to find my wings. How fitting. Exactly right, man. Talking. You guys were talking about the uh, We Are the World. You watch that? The, the, the documentary? I didn't watch the documentary yet, but I will watch it. Oh, it, it is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The Wham! one was really good. I watched the Wham! one a few months back. That was pretty good. Um, let me tell you something. Don't overlook one of the most important pieces of uh, musical history of all time, and that would be the Here and aid event that took place in 1985 sound city and they came out with the song called stars and it was the heavy metal version of we are the world basically really what yeah yeah no joke these are no, things i know nothing about i must have led a sheltered life i was listening to wham <laughs> and hall <of> Oats. <laughs> but I, I mean like live aid was sort of born out of we are the world yeah. right and then some of these these uh these concerts uh, that and, and look we are the world was born out of of the the christmas when we talked about the uh, the um, do they know it's christmas do they know it's christmas right on right so on. anyway um but yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm always fascinated by how these you know these these and, and with we are the world you're talking about i mean you're talking about Bob Dylan. You're talking about Paul Simon and Waylon Jennings, who walked out, oh. uh, and and Ray Charles. I mean, these are the biggest of the big. So for sure. To see Absolutely. him kind of rub elbows and see how that was just fascinates me. Yeah, definitely. It was such a cool, cool thing. Now I want to switch gears for a second and talk politics with you for a minute because a story that broke overnight, and I'd love to get your thought on this because to me it just makes um, sense given what's uh, happening in our world politically. But uh, Nikki Haley has now requested. Uh, Secret Service protection for the the campaign process. What do you think of that, and what do you think has instigated that request? Oh, I mean, I mean, without a doubt, there's nuts all over the place that are going to try to you know pu- pull something off or threaten or swat or any of that sort of stuff. She's a high enough profile person. I think that uh, she she probably. Uh, should should deserve it. Um, I think it's despicable, and I mean really, truly despicable, that uh, uh, Joe Biden has refused to protect RFK Jr., especially given the history uh, of, of his family's tragedies. Um, so I, I have no issue with uh, with Nikki Haley getting Secret Service protection. Uh, it's probably not going to be lasting for a very long time because I don't know how long she's going to remain in the race. But um, 
you, the world is a dangerous place. I, I, I don't fault anybody for looking for protection. The uh, the border bill, uh, which uh, we we got uh, you know late in late into the weekend yeah. uh, Sunday night, uh, something was on the table uh, behind the scenes in the Senate, and then now yesterday uh, you heard Mike Johnson talking about this. Seems dead on arrival uh, in the House if it should get there. Yeah. Uh, and look, typically when you do these kinds of deals, you, you have the House put out something, you have the Senate put out something. The Senate decided they're not going to have any respect at all for what the House has asked for. Uh, so the House is going to say, forget it. We're not going to do it. Uh, uh, that's just the way it's going to be. H.R. 2 has been sitting out there for almost three years and um, the Senate won't even take a look at it. Um, I, I think the reality is the the, the border is broken. Uh, we know who broke the border, and uh, it's going to be up to them to kind of try to fix that. Now, I heard some suggestions from uh, some Republican pundits who you know are no longer serving in Congress, but now are the talking heads on all the shows, mm-hmm. uh, saying that Joe Biden should just close the border now and let these guys duke it out in the House and the Senate, but take care of the issue as it is and make it no yeah. longer an issue. And then the conversation will stop about whether or not Donald Trump is pulling the strings with mm-hmm. the, the members of the House, right? And do you think that, that, that there's truth in that? Um. Yeah, I mean, look, Donald Trump is pulling the strings in the same way that Barack Obama is pulling the strings by defending Obamacare every time there's a challenge to it, right? Donald Trump has made the border like the number one issue. It's not a secret. Um, and, you know, it, it's all going to see how this plays out. Look, here's, the, here's the problem. And, and, you know, I hate to say this. It's crass to maybe to think about this. Every day that border is open, we have a greater possibility of a terrorist attack happening in an American city. And it is there is one person who opened that border. There is one person who can close that border. That is the president of the United States. He doesn't need a permission slip from Lil Mike Johnson to get in there and, 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 and close that border. He just doesn't have the will to do it. And he doesn't want to have um, have it blow back on him with the progressive uh, caucuses. Brett Winterbull show today at three o'clock. What's on tap? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this and uh, some of that. All right, this and that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's how we roll here at WBT, almost 8 o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. This is Good Morning BT with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. 806 on News Talk 1110-993 WBT on this Tuesday, February 6th. Bo and Beth here in a, our continuing effort to uh, bring awareness to various candidates that are running in this election 2024. I want to bring on right now the Deputy Whip in the North Carolina General Assembly, uh, he's a long, he's a longtime uh, House representative, John Hardister, who's actually running for labor commissioner as well. So a busy guy right now. Uh, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate you being here. And uh, we had uh, we've had Braxton Winston on the show in uh, recent months. He is a Democrat running for the labor commissioner. You're a Republican and uh, you're very active there in the legislature. Uh, let me start off, though, with uh, the base question. Um, what made you decide to run for this particular post? Sure. Very good question. So I didn't plan on running. I was very surprised when Commissioner Josh Dobson announced his retirement because he was just elected a few years ago. He's in his first term. And I got a call from some folks who said, you should look at running for this. And, uh, of course, as a legislator, I knew what the 
labor commissioner does, but I wanted to look more into it, obviously, before making a decision. And the more that I looked into it, I, yeah, I realized it's, it's a good fit. You know, it fits my background. And having served in the legislature for now over a decade, and, and I've worked in the private sector, which I still do now, you know, for over 20 years, I thought it would be a good fit. And it's an important office. We need somebody qualified to serve. My, my mic wasn't on. Why do you think that you got that call of the, the folks that, who might have thrown their hat in the ring when the current labor commissioner decided to step down and to not run for re-election? What, what do you think it was about your experience, your past, that made folks reach out to you thinking, hey, this guy's a good fit? Yeah, so I think it's a few things. I mean, one is I have a lot of relationships in state government. You know, having worked in the General Assembly, you know, served in the House now for over a decade, including in a leadership position, I have a lot of relationships across state government, and I've proven that I can get things done. You know, I can work across the aisle. I can, you know, work with members of both parties and, you know, work with both the House and the Senate and, and get things done. I think that record of being effective was, I think, appealing to uh, the folks who were looking at who could you know, who could serve in this office and who could be effective. And, and my work ethic is strong. I think folks uh, realize that. And, um, you know, and then also having worked in the, in the private sector in both uh, blue and white collar industry, I think that's appealing as well. Talking to the uh, Deputy Whip of the North Carolina General Assembly, Representative John Hardister, who's running for Labor Commissioner as well, as we continue to spotlight some of the other races that you might not hear as much talk about this election year, but uh, you need to. We, we believe uh, you should know everything you're going in the voting booth uh, to, uh, to pull the lever for. Now, you, like I said, you're, you're the Deputy Whip. Um, you have uh, uh, spoken against uh, uh, proposed mandates. Uh, you've circulated a petition uh, demanding Governor Cooper to put North Carolina support behind Texas and their current border crisis. We've been covering this story, the bipartisan border security bill in Washington that senators have spent four months putting together. Uh, it's in danger of falling apart, especially if you listen to members of the U.S. House. There's going to be a test vote in the Senate expected tomorrow, uh, but it's far from a sure bet that this is going to pass. What are your thoughts on what's going on with the border crisis right now? Well, it's a, it is a crisis, and it's past time that we do something about it. Uh, you know, as as a candidate for labor commissioner, and if I'm elected labor commissioner, you know, I want to make sure that workers are kept safe. Obviously, that's one of the, the major responsibilities of the office. What we're seeing, unfortunately, is um, you know, a lot of trafficking. Uh, in fact, human trafficking in North Carolina is, is a serious problem. Uh, some of that is related to the border. Uh, we're seeing drugs. We're seeing fentanyl uh, come across the border. It's coming into North Carolina. I mean, at this point, basically every state is a border state, and that's how we have to look at it. And so, I mean, I've reached out to members of Congress, both sides of the aisle. I've urged them to, to get serious about this, and it shouldn't even be a political issue. I mean, having a secure border should not be um, political, and hopefully, I don't know what the answer is, but hopefully cooler heads prevail because eventually something's got to be done about it. And if they don't, it's going to be a major election issue. Now, come the general election, you would be running against Braxton Winston. He has some very specific goals he hopes to accomplish as Commissioner of Labor. What are some of the goals that you have in mind? If you are to be elected, what do you want voters to know that you will begin doing on day one? Well, for one thing, we're always going to focus on workplace safety. But that has to be done with common sense. You have to collaborate with the private sector to identify the, the best practices 
We also want to make sure that we're hiring the best and the brightest to serve as inspectors to make sure elevators are safe, but also escalators, mines, boilers, quarries, amusement rides, and migrant housing. And, uh, you know, settling wage and labor disputes is another thing the department does, and that's very important. But one thing in particular I'd like to highlight is the enhancement of trade skills, vocational education. Mm. That's something that the commissioner plays a role in because the commissioner is on the board of the community college system. And I'd like to use that opportunity to really promote the trades, you know, get more students to look at going into a, a trade like welding or electrical or HVAC because the Labor Department works with all those different industries. And I think that's an opportunity you know, for us to go in and really encourage these students to look at going into these careers because we need them to build a strong economy and the jobs pay well. And uh, we should also note that you are prepared uh, to be in every elevator in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yeah, and you probably heard that the current commissioner is um, taking the picture off, but we announced that, that if, if I get elected, we'll put the picture back on. Okay, all right, so there you go. Uh, you're running for co- commissioner of labor, Representative John Hardister, and of course, uh, Deputy Whip has been in, in uh, the State House uh, since, uh, you know, for, for uh, a while now, and uh, the Deputy Whip. So uh, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Well, good morning. It's uh, 8.23 on WBT. Bo and Beth here. And if you've been listening to the station uh, the last uh, 24 hours or so, it's uh, heavy hearts. It's always difficult to talk about uh, the news when the news is about one of your own. Mm. And uh, we learned yesterday about midday, and I was uh, actually texting with the guy we're talking to right now, uh, about the passing of Jim Barrell, who uh, was a, just a fixture in our newsroom for 31 years. 1985 through 2016. And we're going to talk to uh, Mark Garrison coming up for Dirty Restaurant Tuesday, as we always do. Uh, Mark is not anchoring this morning, but uh, he is with us now because I know, uh, Mark, you have some things you want to say about Jim Barrel. You spent a lot of time back in that newsroom working with him and uh, can, can, can attest to the, uh, the institution that he became uh, over a, a long period of time uh, for anybody to be in any position at a radio station, much less an anchor back there. Yeah, you know, that is the truth. He is just, just a, you know, when someone passes away, everybody eulogizes them by saying, he was such a nice guy. But uh, in the news business, to say, he was such a nice guy, uh, Beth, you and Bo have worked in newsrooms. You know yeah. that to say that of a news director is uh, is really something. He, uh, he was very gentle. Um, you know, he... he there, I've worked in newsrooms where there's a lot of shouting and screaming going on mm-hmm. and hand-wringing mm-hmm. if you miss a story. Or uh, Jim was never that way. I mean, if if even if we missed a story, he would be like, well, that's all right. We'll, we'll get it next time. Do better. <laughs> he was just a, a, a wonderful guy. He actually is the, the guy who brought me back to WBT. Uh, I had I was in television for years, then left and was running a business. And uh, and at the point where I was starting to close the business, uh, Jim and I made contact, and he said, "Well, why don't you come back over here and at least do a little fill-in and freelance work?" And so he's the guy that brought me back. So I have kind of a special 
spot in my heart for him. Now, I uh, unfortunately never had the pleasure of, of knowing him, but all of the tributes and all of the conversations I've heard uh, this morning, he just was such a warm uh, human being. And like you were saying, I've worked in, in newsrooms my entire career, and warmth is not necessarily the first word <laughs> you would use right. to describe a, a newsroom. But he, like you're saying... Leadership trickles down, and when you when you approach people with kindness, and you approach people with warmth, and you approach people with positivity, that trickles down, and that's how a room feels. And it sounds like he was just that kind of force in a room, and gentle and warmth. I I, I hope to always, from here on out, work in newsrooms that uh, that are gentle and warm. Absolutely, it. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I was trying to think of some examples where, you know, occasionally we would get into some arguments in the newsroom, but Jim was always this uh, kind and gentle <laughs> mediating force, and suddenly the room would just uh, uh, get back to normal. And uh, the other thing about him is he was funny. He loved baseball. Uh, you were going to talk about baseball, whether you knew much about it or not, or listen to him <laughs> talk about it. Uh, the other thing is he was quite the photographer, particularly of, uh, you, you guys may have talked about this, he loved nothing better than to go out to the airport and shoot jets landing and taking off and taxiing. And he would get some spectacular shots uh, I always there were a couple that I remember that I always wanted to to, to get from him and frame. They were that good, but wow. that was uh, something he loved doing. He loved hiking, and the thing that's so uh, you know sudden death sometimes is just so difficult to deal with. And his daughter wrote on Facebook, he was healthy a month ago. This was hiking and taking pictures there in Hendersonville, and. This came up so suddenly and so aggressively and took him so quickly that I kind of went around in shock all day yesterday. Yeah, uh, his daughter Amy posted, uh, I will miss this man so, so much. He Mm. passed this morning, yesterday, from an exceedingly aggressive mantle cell lymphoma. And like you say, uh, Mark, uh, she she wrote in this, he was completely healthy a month ago. So this was something that uh, happened unexpectedly recently. He just turned 71 a few weeks ago. Um, And I'm glad you said uh, about his affinity for uh, photography and for the... uh, the uh, aviation, because I, I, I can't help but think I, I wish Jim had been around to see this new overlook that they're about to complete <laughs> oh, at Charlotte yeah. Douglas because oh, he yeah. loved that. But here's what I kept thinking also when I was thinking about Jim and watching the airplanes. Um, he's got a different view this morning. Mm. Yes, he does. He's got a view from a different angle. And uh, Jim was a was a man of God, a very religious yeah. man. And that's one thing you were talking about in your reports yesterday. Yes, indeed. He uh, he would let you know quickly he had trusted Christ for his soul's salvation, and uh, he knew where he was headed. Uh, he taught a Bible study every, I think it was either every Wednesday or Thursday nights at the county jail uptown. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to talk about that. He loved doing that. Uh, and I asked him, you know, I said, well, are, how is, he said, the men are very receptive. And he loved teaching that Bible study. Wow. Well, uh, you said at the beginning there that uh, when people pass away, uh, people tend to talk about, hey, he was such a good man, such a nice. And maybe what we should say going forward is he, uh, when people pass away that we think of like that, they were very Jim Barrel-like. 
<laughs> Wouldn't that be fitting to say it that way? Yeah, it would. It really would. It's time for Order Up Dirty Restaurant Tuesday. Waiter, there's a fly in my soup. Could you do something about it? It's the way we roll on Tuesdays. All the places that Mark Garrison goes so we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> are all the places I read about, so you don't have to go, right? <laughs> yeah, so you have to actually... <laughs> It'd be better if you actually went and had, like, <laughs> first-hand description. Oh, I just ate dirty food. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only problem with me doing this remotely is I don't get to see the look on Beth's face when we do <laughs> well, you'll just have to. you'll just have to imagine. Oh, She's making I, that, I'm that imagining, ew face right there. She goes, ew. That's right. Imagining her mouth flying open. All right, we got an IHOP. This is the one on Woodlawn and 86.5. Oh, not uh. Rudy Tootie or Fresh. <laughs> <laughs> or Fruity. <laughs> Rudy Tootie Fresh. It's Rotten it Fruity. Been, yeah, might have been a little Tootie going on if you ate there. Uh, <laughs> there was no one there um, in management that had any food training for the first part of the inspection. Somebody finally showed up before the inspector left. Uh Observed an employee grab food out of the fryer and eat it while in the kitchen. That had to be hot. Hmm. But you you can't treat food that way and eat it yourself. Uh, Let's see here. Raw turkey, sausage, uh, smoked sausage uh, were uh, stored improperly in the walk-in cooler above raw salmon. Ah, boogers. Wait, they have salmon? Wait, they had boogers? They have salmon at IHOP? Yeah, I didn't realize that. That was the story of the day, guys. I didn't know they had salmon. Is that an option instead of like <laughs> ham or bacon on the side of your pancakes? <laughs> Maybe Real so. The salmon. Two, two great tastes that don't go great together. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Leave it at that. Sure, make peanut butter hamburgers now, so I don't know. <laughs> Observed uh, plates and knives and forks that were stored as clean but were soiled. Oh. That's the uh, way that, it was put. That word. Uh, <laughs> soiled. <laughs> The cooler was not working, so everything in there had to be thrown out. Uh, because who knows how long it had been there. Oh, and I love this. Observed a bottle of Raid inside the manager's office. They were apparently using Raid to kill the bugs, and the inspector was like, no, you can't do that. You need Cardinal Environmental. <laughs> I have a question for Bo real quick. Because I'm always going over there for this segment because Mark sits here. Does this music always play under this segment? Uh, yes. yes, it yes. does. I have never heard this before. <laughs> it's like a dance mix under this all this time. Yes. So I'm yes. standing there. I can't. I just hear Mark talking. Yes. This. Jim thought I it was kind just of, letting the music play. Well, it just kind of like funds it up that there's like a dance mix under Were you going to tell me that there was music yeah. playing underneath this whole segment, Jim? Are you just going to let it go the whole I time? I asked both. This was always there. I just well, now actually yeah, three Jim, minutes into the segment. As far as you know, we, we still play like four songs an hour like we did in the 90s, right? <laughs> all right. Back to you, Mark. <laughs> so that was the IHOP on Woodlawn 80s, 6.5. Now we have the Velvet Taco. That's in the South End. Oh, I've Gary been there. Nersh. Yep. Yeah, I yep. think I have too. Eighty one point <gasps> five. That is low. Wow. That is the, really low. That's like in the NBA. That's good defense. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the inspector said the person in charge did not understand the food code. Uh, observed an employee uh, take off gloves after working with raw fish, not wash, and then handle uh, raw chicken. Wow. And that was a repeat violation. A lot of raw mm. fish this week. Mm. Yeah, observe raw have chicken. And, <laughs> observe the raw chicken and beef stir, stored above corn and lettuce dripping on it. That's not good. Oh, uh, the, the rice was not hot enough. That and the beef had to be thrown out. That was a repeat violation. 
observe four employees wearing watches and bracelets. You can't do that. And one guy preparing food with no hair restraint. And that was a repeat violation. So... A little hair in your food at Velvet Taco, South End, uh, on Hawkins Street, 81.5. Mm. Now we got a place. Mm. I've never mm. heard of this, uh, but this is funny. Catch 21. They're on West Boulevard, 83. And the inspector said no employee present would identify themselves as the person in charge. <laughs> I'm not taking the blame uh, no, for not this. Me. <laughs> not me. Don't blame me for this mess. I don't work uh, here. You work here? <laughs> and observe, no wonder, no management control of this facility. <laughs> so the inmates were running the asylum, apparently. Uh, no one had any food safety training. The employees, the ones who would not identify themselves as being in charge, did not know, hey, if you're sick, don't come to work. Uh, they didn't realize that. Observe raw fish stored above ready-to-eat crabs. Uh, yeah, that's nasty. And s- they ready to eat and crabs is an interesting phrase too. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Is Beth blushing? Uh, observe several. <laughs> observe several stacks of greasy dishes that were stored as clean, but they were obviously greasy. Mm, well, that's the a catch twenty-two yeah, or twenty-one. Well, the, it makes it easy phrase. for the food to slide off the plate. Yeah. <laughs> Two twenty. Uh, the, ch- the chicken wings were not hot. Uh, and a lot of foods that were supposed to be cold were not. So, like a house-made ranch was just sitting out at 70 degrees. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she took that one hard. That was like, she did. That was like, gag me with a spoon. <laughs> Don't mess with my house-made ranch. That, that was the one one too many right there. The ranch? <laughs> And at 70? <laughs> We've lost Beth, Beth Mark. Sorry. You did like raw yeah. fish dripping on crabs that were walking around. And yeah. Yeah. You got her with the ranch dressing. Plenty, plenty of raw salmon. No big deal. But now we've hit the threshold. <laughs> so there you go. Catch 21 on West Boulevard, 83, and have a little fun. Go in there and go, hey, is anybody in charge here? And watch them all go, huh, no, not me. <laughs> Got one more here. <clears throat> I love this. This is the 7-Eleven on Old Concord Road. Oh, bless. <laughs> yeah. Home of the roller dogs. Say. Uh, but the inspector says a lot of training is needed for these employees. Food safety concepts were just not understood. <laughs> See, I kind of always feel that way with the taquitos and the roller dogs. Yeah, that's a lot of trust involved in that. Yeah, for for example, one employee was uh, working the register, handling cash, and then immediately went to prepare food without washing. Oh, and for that reason, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. And there were roaches caught on traps, just sort of hanging around in various <laughs> spots. Well, better than not catching them, I guess. Well, I suppose he is only uh, halfway dead. <laughs> there were. <laughs> What temperature was the ranch dressing is the question. <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't think you get ranch at 7-Eleven. Uh, observe the person in charge had no knowledge of food safety, uh, including when to wash and hot holding temperatures, just to name a few. So you're not going to be saying, oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven there. Uh, that's the 7-Eleven Old Concord Road, 88.5. 
So is Beth gagging yet? Mm. I feel like we're stuck in the 80s today. <laughs> I know, really. <laughs> Not in a good way. That's what, that's, that's what makes a good, dirty restaurant. Right. You're stuck in the 80s. That's yeah. right. All right, Mark. All right. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. You're welcome. Dirty Restaurant Tuesday. News Talk 1110 WBT. Got uh, Brett Jensen Tuesday coming up next hour. And uh, much Speaking more. Speaking of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> News Talk 1110 WBT. Bo and Beth and Jim Zoki. I wanted to... Uh, get Jeff Atkinson to come on with us here for a second. He's uh, in, he's in the newsroom and, of course, is uh, anchoring news today. But we were uh, talking to Mark Garrison a little bit earlier about the passing of Jim Barrel, which we, we got news about yesterday. He passed away at the age of 71 after a short battle with cancer. Uh, Garrison mentioned the fact that uh, when he came back to hmm. WBT, it was Jim Barrel that hired him. <laughs> a lot of you uh, may know, but some of you may not know, that Jeff Atkinson was also a, a former WBT veer down the hall at Channel 3, and it was Jim Barrel that hired you here. Amazing, isn't it? Um, when I decided to get out of TV, this was back in 2012, um, it was actually John Stokes who I saw leaving the building. He and I were just leaving at the same time. And, and Stokes said, so here, you're leaving? And I said, yeah, I'm ready to do something else. And Stokes said, well, if you ever you know, decide you want to stay in the news business, get into the building, come down. You know, we'd love to have you down at the newsroom. And I said, okay, well, maybe, maybe we'll think about it. Anyway, Jim uh, Barrel was the news director at the time, and so I emailed him or called him. I can't remember exactly what happened, and, and just said, you know, Jim, I saw Stokes, and, and you know, if y'all ever need somebody, would I still enjoy the news business, and, and I love this town, and I love WBT, and it would, you know, be fun to come back. I had worked at WBT when I first came to WBTV, so I have, this is my second stint here working part-time, and um, I mean, I, I can't say anything more than what's already been said about Jim Barrel. He was just a gentle soul is about all I could say. Just a, um, I mean, just a mentor, a a good man. Um, He and I were friends on Facebook. We talked probably it's been a couple of months ago, and he said, uh, you know, we, well, come up. You know, he was always want, wanting us to come up and, and see his house up in, in the mountains, and, and he just loved, uh, you know, retirement and, and loved taking pictures of all the beauty that, that North Carolina has. And uh, it's when I heard this yesterday afternoon, and when uh, I think it was actually on Pete Callender's show, Pete mentioned it. It, it, I think we all had that same feeling like, oh, my goodness, we just, we just lost a good one. And uh, lost him way too soon. 71 years old. I was looking back on the Facebook page, and it, his birthday was January 22nd. Aww. So it was just two weeks ago yesterday. And, and from all accounts, that everything you all have been saying and what, what we've heard, that you know, he, was, he was fine a month ago. And then uh, this took him so quickly. So, um, so anyway, rest in peace, uh, Jim Barrow. We, we love you. I've been saying all morning I didn't get the uh, pleasure or the honor of, of knowing him or working with him. But... Um, because of him, I get to know you, Jeff, mm. and so I feel like that was a gift um, oh. in and of itself because I, I, I get you through him. Mm. So, you know, the uh, a pay it forward that, <laughs> that he did for so many people. Yeah. Well, Zoki and I have uh, worked here for a long time and, and seen different news directors down the hall. Mm. John Stokes was news director for a while, and then Jim was news director, and then there were times when both of them were, you know, there was a different news director that they reported to. So, uh, you know, I didn't realize until uh, you all said it uh, 
uh, in different conversations today that that uh, Beryl was the one that hired both Garrison <laughs> and Atkinson. But I mean, blame him. Well, no, no, quite the opposite. I love you both. He had a good ear. Yeah, quite the opposite because uh, you look at that newsroom back there and uh, you wonder why uh, different people end up where they do. Well, uh, among the many many things that have been said about Jim Beryl today, and all of them, uh, it's so so true. That's one thing that we had uh, not said up until we talked to the both of you is that's how he got y'all back there. So obviously uh, he was a respected and a great news anchor, but as Zoki said, had a had an ear and an eye for talent. So we're lucky for uh, yet another reason as we remember a guy who uh, is gone too soon. Mm. Indeed, indeed. Thank a lot of times people say he was the nicest guy in the world. Yes. I feel sorry for so many other people. I mean, Jim literally was the <laughs> nicest guy. Like, I can't even think of, like, uh, and Jeff would be in this category yeah. of people. But I mean, just uh, mm. the nicest people you ever met with. And Jeff, I think a lot of your personality is very similar to Jim's. Like, I can't remember Jim Barrow being mad. I'm sure it happened. I'm sure he had an angry moment. I never saw one. I'm I sure it existed. I never saw, yeah. yeah. I worked for many news directors, and I never worked for uh, a Jim Barrel. Well, uh, <laughs> we did uh, we did a tribute to him that we played in the seven o'clock hour. I was just talking to Vince Coakley. Vince is going to run it during his show. So uh, if you didn't hear it, uh, it sort of encapsulates its, his career, and uh, I think most importantly has a lot of Jim in it. If uh, you want to hear Jim's voice today, and I know we all are missing it right now, uh, that'll be available. And it's also at uh, wbt.com, and we tweeted it out as well, and and all of that. So rest in peace, the great Jim Barrel. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, this is Good Morning BT with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. So he was here early, but then he went out in the hall. Just kind of make it like uh, like old times. Is that, mm-hmm. that what we're doing here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. like the audio bat signal. I play this, and he shows up. Can we stop playing it? Wow. (laughs) Good night, everybody. It's been a great show. Thank you, Brett. We'll talk to you tonight. Drive home safe. All right. Come on. You know it has to start early. I love you. I love you. He just said it was like the bat signal. I had to come up with something. Mm. Waka waka. Speaking of bats. (gasps) (laughs) He just called me a bat, guys. Oh, no, I just said speaking of bats. Infer from that what you will. <laughs> How the heck are you, my friend? It's good to see you on a Tuesday. It's good. It's good to be here. It's What's uh, you, We should start this. Uh, I, I, maybe we're bearing the lead each week to use a... A journalistic term or phrase. Mm-hmm. So, what's on the burner? What's on the Brett Brett Jensen dashboard right now? You didn't have a show last night, so for a lot of times, uh, this is the first time we're hearing you for the week. Well, what's What's on your burner, man? Well, I'm glad you asked that. This was not prearranged. Uh, Bo has no idea what's actually on the burner. Oh. So, I don't have a show tonight either because of Carolina playing Clemson. But I have a show Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the next week Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh-huh. um, just because of Tar Heel basketball. For the next six shows, every show this week and every show next week, 
almost every single show will, will be occupied by politicians. Huh. Every seg segment, people running for office. Um, tomorrow, um, I've got two different people in, uh, somebody, Chad, uh, Chad Brown, who's running for Secretary of State, who's the oh. chair of the Gaston County Commissions, uh, Commissioners. He's the chairman. Um, he's running for Sec State. He's coming tomorrow, as well as uh, Del Fawa will be in for 30 minutes. And then on Thursday, Don Brown will be in for the full hour. He's running for Congress District 8. And then on Friday, uh, Dina Ballard, who's running for Lieutenant Governor, who most people think is probably either going to be her or Hal Weatherman. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, she's one of the favorites for Lieutenant Governor. She's going to be in Friday. Then next week, for a full hour on Valentine's Day, live in studio, Lee Brown. And then on Thursday next week, John Bradford for a full hour. And then on Friday, Alan Balcom for a full oh, hour. Oh, so you have a lot of the District 8 folks. Yeah, so I've got all the District 8 folks. Well, yeah, there'll be five of the six will have been in the studio for a full hour. Now, where in the world would you have been where you could get them all in one place and book all this stuff ahead of time? Some of those were pre, some of those were prearranged. Uh, but, you know, I know, but even before the debate, but a lot of them were finalized this past weekend because on Saturday, um, from eight a.m. to two p.m., I was at Providence High School covering and talking to a lot of the candidates. It was the only media person there, by the way. Every, almost every single person running for a council of state was there. And uh, so all the people that were like, so nine, I think nine of the 11 lieutenant people running for lieutenant governor were there. The two people running for Department of Public Instruction was there, Catherine Truitt and Morrow. Like every, all nine council of state races, all the Republican candidates, except with the exception of a few, were there. Dan Bishop wasn't there because he doesn't have a primary. No one's running against him. Had he had a primary, he would have been there. And so I secured a lot of that um, you know that this weekend, actually Saturday at the uh, at the event at Providence High School, and it was there were you know a few hundred people showed up in attendance to to watch all these people have their forums and a little public debate. And each each uh, race got uh, say fifteen minutes where they discussed particular op you know, topics and issues, and so a lot of it was uh, finalized this weekend, this Saturday, actually. We're going to talk about the debate last week because this is the first time we've had a chance to sit with you. We sat with you just moments before the debate. And if you want to see Brett Jensen all gussied up in his little tie and his little suit, you can go to my uh, Instagram page, at Beth Troutman, and I posted a picture of us doing the little pregame show because you were kind enough to join us on the set and, and talk with us uh, leading up to the debate. And it's such a cute little picture of you. I love how she said, little tie and little suit like I'm an eight-year-old. But, you know. <laughs> Well, I was uh, trying to give you a compliment. I can't even yeah. say anything nice. I get made fun of over here. <laughs> you, uh, you just change the words to huge, enormous. Maybe <laughs> yeah, that's what he wants. And that doesn't there you go. That's no, more like it. That that's more like either. it. That's what women usually say. So, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Oh, my gosh. No, I was talking about my weight. I wasn't. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about my weight. And we're off. <laughs> when we come back, we will uh, revisit some of what happened last Wednesday night in our uh, D8 debate. And by the way, you mentioned Lee Brown. Lee Brown is going to join us on this show tomorrow at 8.35. 8 
So we'll talk to Lee Brown and uh, some of the other candidates down the road. But as, as Jensen, just Jensen's basically got the rollout of all these candidates, one after the other. All coming in studio for a full hour. Next uh, week or so. And it's one of the great things about breaking with Brett Jensen. You know, Beth and I do a show here that is by design, sort of short attention span theater, right? You know, because we get bored quickly, too. <laughs> but we try to give you all the things uh, by the time you get to work or school so you can have a, a little bit of knowledge about everything, right? And then you have shows like Brett Jensen's at night where you can sit down and really get into the meat of some of these issues with some of these candidates. And it's what the, you know, the, the construct the construct of WBT is right now. It's so delightful. Um, live and local all day, every day. So uh, that's coming up. But we're also going to talk uh, before the hour is over about uh, the new Panthers head coach. And you had a one-on-one with Dave Canales and uh, the new GM, Dan Morgan, last week. So lots to get to with Breaking Brett Jensen, an enormously popular person here on the station. Okay, next up. And by the way, you are listening to and you are seeing live at Wingate, the WBT North Carolina 8th Congressional District Republican Primary Debate. That is a lot. Uh, we're, we're glad that you're here in person tonight. And if you can't be with us in person, uh, we welcome you on the 50,000 watts of WBT. All right. Next panelist, back to Brett Jensen. Alan, um, Biden's age has become a big thing for quite a while, including for the Democrats. And people are concerned about his mental capacity, even from the day he took office. You're in your early 70s. Should there be an age limit of when you're actually elected? Because there's been a lot of talk about that. And should age be a concern? Age is not the concern I have. The mental capacity is the concern, but it's more the, the policy and the principles of the individuals that I have concern about. Biden. No. He needs to go out to pasture. Trump, replace him. It is not an age thing. I'll put my age up against anyone's here because I'll put, I'll put the fact of the drugs I take against anybody on this stage. I don't take any. <laughs> Zero. I'll do a I'll do a health test against anybody on this stage. So no, it has nothing to do with age. I have the business experience. I have the life experience to take and the principles to move forward as your next congressman. That's a little bit of our debate, which was uh, a week ago tomorrow night. At Wingate University and uh, Brett Jensen, you were there with us. Beth and I were moderating, and uh, you were a member of the uh, panelists of questions. We talked to you just before that debate happened, like literally seconds before that debate happened. You were on stage with Beth and, and me as we were doing the pregame show, but we haven't talked to you on the air. Uh, I know you've talked about it on your show, but not here. Uh, what were your takeaways coming away from that? You know, it's... Um, I, I will quote a political insider... Um, that's a heavy hitter in the NCGOP. And his response was, every single person gave a bad, at least one bad answer or stepped in it, except Lee Brown. He said Lee Brown was the only one who didn't give a bad answer. And um, I thought that was, I thought that was an interesting take. And then the person told me who the top three people that he thought did the, uh, did well um, in the debate. You know, he thought Mark Harris came in fourth out of six people, um, which I thought was interesting as well. 
But, you know, personally, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting. Um, there, let's truly be honest with you, there should have only been five candidates on the stage. Um, Who was the one that should be missing? Maples. Maples shouldn't have been there. Um, you know, I mean, he, he has the God-given right to run for office and all that, and you, you have to include him and all that. But, I mean, he was out of his element. I mean, he was, he was out of his element. And, and he 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 admits that. I mean, he he'll he knows that he's out of his element. Um, but I mean, that's okay. Um, but it was. Uh, it, I thought it was good because we touched on a lot of different topics all over the board. Um, I, I I did make the joke to Winterville privately because he he and Pete kept they towards the end they each one asked about Article Five, and I leaned over to Brett. I said, "How many of these candidates do you think know what Article Five is?" And that was like in the middle of the debate. I leaned over and asked that. So it was, but I thought it was. I thought it was necessary. It's the, one of the most high, uh, hotly contested races. I am more convinced. Now, obviously, there's no sure things, but I am. I, I feel pretty safe that this race were if we were allowed to gamble yet in North Carolina, I would bet that this, there's going to be a runoff because of this, in this district. I'm not sure people, some of those are going to get 30% plus one because Alan Balkan's going to do well uh, and, um, and Lee Brown's going to do well in Cabarrus County. Alan Balkan's going to do extremely well in Union County. And it goes in that the, the, the peripheral counties don't matter that much in terms of numbers. 38% of the vote is going to come from Union County. 19% is coming from Mecklenburg County. 18% is coming from Cabarrus County. When you start adding that up, there's not a lot left for those other five counties to divvy up. And so... But because of those three main counties, you're they're, and Don Brown's doing. Put it to you this way: within 36 hours after that, after that debate, because people thought he did so well by listening to him on radio, Don Brown raised fifty thousand dollars in 36 hours. Who someone, some people consider to be a throwaway candidate, and he raised 50k in 36 hours by Friday at noon. He had raised thirty or fifty thousand dollars because so many people were impressed with his answers and things that he had to say, and so now he's the wild card. He's going to get a lot of votes, and that's why because the emergence of Don Brown and Lee Brown did well, and you've got Bradford and you've got Mark Harris, you know, and Balkum there in Union County. I I would be surprised at this point if someone actually gets thirty percent. We don't have the runoff. What did you think of uh, the Mark Harris performance? Mark Harris went into that, I think, easily the most well-known candidate. And right out of the gate, he got questions about what happened last time around. Um, but um, all told, how do you think he did? The problem was that we didn't hear anything new with his answers concerning, which, I mean, I don't expect him to come up with a different answer every single time, but a lot of the things that he said were things that we've already heard. Have you seen there's a, a an attack ad against him running now that is, is out there from a political action committee? It is not from a specific candidate, but it is about that 20, uh, 20 what, 19 race and the, 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 the court case or the, I guess, the election board case that happened after it. And I was, I saw it for the first time this morning and I was shocked. It's not coming from another candidate, but from a PAC. Well, and I promise you this, the PACs were conservative. 
the pack will be because it's not liberal. It's not a Democrat pack. It's a conservative pack. And because the Democrats aren't even going to try in this race because they know there's no chance of winning that, that seat. So they're going to conserve their money and go elsewhere. They're not even going to throw anything into it because that seat is a lost seat. Um, so, but I can tell you there are a lot of people that in the higher, higher ups in the Republican Party who do not want Mark Harris to run. Is there a candidate that they do want that you know of that, that, that might be behind that pack or that that pack might be supporting? I, I don't know who's behind it. I, I, I honestly don't know. There are so many people in the Republican Party who do not want Mark Harris to run. It could be one of a thousand that do not that, that's putting that money up or behind it. But I can tell you most people up in Raleigh they're all supporting John Bradford. Like that's who their that's who their endorsements are going towards. We'll that, uh, you know. continue to talk about this, the uh, debate last week that WBT hosted, and Brett and myself and Beth were part of. We'll also talk about uh, the new Panthers head coach. Brett had a one-on-one with Dave Canales. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Rolling on on this Tuesday morning, February 6th, Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman, our buddy Brett Jensen in the house, host of Breaking with Brett Jensen. Every weeknight when there's not basketball... At 7 o'clock. So uh, we have basketball tonight, the Tar Heels and the Clemson Tigers. But then tomorrow night, tomorrow night, Thursday night, and Friday night, you have three shows in a row. And same thing next week. And as you told us earlier, you're going to be spotlighting various candidates for office and some lengthy conversations. Speaking of lengthy conversations, now this one, uh, this is not a conversation. This was a question in front of a lot of people. Guys, uh, Brett Jensen with WBT Radio over... There you go. There you go. Uh, Dave, this is for you. Um, In terms of you've worked with short quarterbacks in the past, successful with Russell Wilson, successful with Baker Mayfield, and you also had a very tall quarterback with Geno Smith. Is there a special way to coach shorter quarterbacks, quarterbacks under six feet, as opposed to a taller quarterback? I think there are certain challenges. Um, I'm not going to go and tell the whole uh, NFC South what those uh, advantages are. I think that's kind of a proprietary deal that we're going to own here. Um, But I will say that there are just certain things you can do to help. Um, there are there are ways to find what that quarterback's comfortable seeing. Um, you got a guy like Drew Brees, who's about my height, which is which is still short in terms of a six foot seven tackle. You know, so whether you're 511 or whether you're 61 you can't really see over any of the linemen so um, there's an approach to it um, and at the end of the day you know it's about decision making um, and just kind of making sure that we can have as many of our five eligibles available available for the quarterback uh, from a visual standpoint so that's the one question you got during the main press conference that was last Wednesday uh, last time we talked to you it was right before you were about to in fact you called us from the stadium right before that was all about to happen and we were talking about what had happened just hours before at Wingate so you had the mass sort of uh, you know gathering there for Dave Canales and, and Dan Morgan and Dave Tepper there for just a short bit and then you had the opportunity to go one-on-one Right. Uh, with with not only Dan Morgan, but also Dave Canales. Yeah. And I remember when speaking to you guys and Beth caught me off guard when she asked the question, what's the one question you want to ask Dave Canales? If you get a chance to ask him a question and gotcha I, question. Yeah. Well, I, when I found out and I t- what I told you was that I want to ask him how many people told him not to take this job. 
and um and that he, just came to your head when I asked you yeah. that question. Oh, that's yeah. that's a that's a cool little backstory. Yeah, I mean, because I was like, I actually had to think about it, and then because I knew I went See, in. I like to make you think. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> believe me, you do. And uh, <laughs> so, with all of that in mind, there was this. You mentioned in your press conference that people said, "Why are you going to Tampa? You got great things here." I'm sure there was probably a lot of the same sentiment going, why are you going to Carolina? Don't you know about the reputation of Carolina? What still made you come here? I know there's only 32 head coaches, but still taking that leap that this was going to be an okay place, despite maybe the reputation. Yeah, I think historically, like just people have always talked about Charlotte, first of all. What an amazing city. Um, So there's an opportunity there. And for me, of course, this is a dream come true to be able to be a head coach, one of 32 in the NFL, um, and to be able to put theory into practice things that i thought i would always want to do things that um that i took from pete and said okay pete carroll um that you know i think we can do this better i think we can we can attack this in a different way or approach this um but you know for me this opportunity also like big part of it bryce young you know like when was i ever going to get a first overall pick now i've had it two years in a row you know with baker who has that talent bryce who has that talent you know um, and then I think about just, you know, Dan Morgan, the familiarity, the ability to work with him to build the roster the way we see fit. Um, and then EJ Evero, a fantastic job he's done with the defense here. I've played him the last two years in Denver and then twice this past year. And just to watch in short order how he's gotten a defense to play together and communicate uh, was so impressive to me. I just thought, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Tepper, if you can get me and EJ Evero together, you might have a dream team in terms of the football field. Real quick about the offense. What type of style, what are the criticisms of this past offense with Bryce was that it was very generic. There wasn't a lot of motion offense and stuff like that. Miami uses extensive motion. Where do you fall in in your offensive philosophies? I think you got to grow to that. I think that there's ways, first and foremost, it's things that start the same that end up different. So there's a way to play football where you don't have to motion all the time and do crazy things. I love what the Dolphins do. Um, Can you come out and do that day one? No, you can't. You know, you grow to packages. You grow to things. So we're going to determine the scope of what our players can handle, and we're just going to push the envelope a little bit more one week at a time. Are you a quarterback whisperer? Definitely, especially a short quarterback whisperer. Anthony Rodriguez, 2004, 5'8", Mexican-American quarterback, tough as nails. Um, that's where my career started, you know. So, anyway. You know, you come in here on Tuesdays and it's like, this is your life, Brett Jensen. This is your last week on the radio. <laughs> that is kind of what it's like. This is your life, Brett Jensen. Well, I do have some thoughts about Dave Canales. Um, Pray tell. So, prior to going to the press conference, I saw Ramona Holloway in the hallway. And she said they're starting a fan club about, like, basically how she just thinks that uh, Dave Canales has dropped it gorgeous. And I went over there, and during that interview, I got lost in his eyes. That is, the, <laughs> that is one good-looking dude. That is one good-looking wow. dude. I was like, it, it was hard to concentrate. Like, it would be hard to concentrate when you've interviewed Tom Brady or an extremely attractive woman. It, it's hard to concentrate. Like, Dave Canales is a good-looking dude. And I, I told Ramona that this morning, and she thought it was hysterical. Wow, you just went... It's got to be a handsome man for you to say that. I mean, I, yes, I mean, here we go. Yeah, he, <laughs> Lean in. He's, he's not telling you. A good-looking dude. One of the only songs I can play on the piano. Yeah, good-looking dude. I'm telling you. Don't, don't, if you get, if you look at him in the, you can't look at him in the eye. Sort of like Medusa, if you turn a stone with Dave, you just melt. 
Wow. Can't look at them in the eye. Of all, I, the, of all the things I thought you were about to say, it was not that. I, I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> Just when you think you know a guy, <laughs> then, he, then he unloads that one on you. And for whatever it's worth, of the eight NFL openings this year that were filled by head coaches, CBS Sports ranked that as the second best hire behind Jim Harbaugh. Hey, that's good. Way to go, Panthers. Somehow that somehow that little riff needs to find its way into the hands of, uh, I don't know, T-Bone? Uh, I'm telling you. I am telling you. He's a good-looking dude. And okay. I am secure enough to be able to say that. Yes, you are. Yeah, just like nobody, everyone could admit. Hey, is Tom Brady a good-looking dude, Bo? Is Tom Brady good-looking? He's a nice-looking man. I go. think he looks empty. And so I'm just kind of like, meh. I know, but I, I, I'm the only Brady? lady in the room. So I, no, I, but let's not bury the lead. I said he's a nice-looking man. Brett Jensen said he gets lost in the eyes yeah, of yeah. Dave Canales. Of Dave Canales. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, it was hard you to have inspired me it to... Was hard. It was hard to concentrate. It really was. Well, I'm telling you, he is. Yeah, it's just like when it's stunning when you, whether it's a woman or a guy, when you're there trying to talk to them and interviewing, it's jarring. I'm floored. It's jarring. <laughs> okay, uh, it's uh, I've even lost track of time. I'm playing Debbie Gibson. What do you want from I, me? News Talk 1110 WBT. <laughs> and don't you criticize Jensen because you inspired the playing of, yeah, of Debbie Gibson. So. All right, traffic check right now. <laughs> I don't know anybody anymore, Boomer. <laughs> what we called him yesterday, uh, Eye Candy Canalis. There you I go. That is what you called him. He See? Is, he's I'm telling candy, you. La- ladies, <laughs> look who's coaching those Panthers. <laughs> well, I've, I've actually heard a lot of women say that, but I never thought Brett Jensen would say it <laughs> on the air. Truth eyes. is truth. Lost I am, in his eyes. I am here Speechless. to only give facts. That's all I'm here to do. <laughs> Speechless is what he said. He couldn't, can't couldn't remember how to talk. I cannot wait till Dave Canales comes on our show. Oh, my gonna, gosh. I'm going to have to I, get to the jukebox over here and play Chuck Berry's brown-eyed, handsome man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good women shed tears over a brown-eyed, handsome man. It's a lot of trouble with a brown-eyed, handsome man. Do I dare ask you what you thought before you uh, interviewed Dan Morgan? He has a strong jawline. Uh, I have thoughts. <laughs> well... Nothing held you back last last segment. Yeah, so. I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if I should say that out loud publicly. I, I don't I don't think I should say that about Dan. Okay, well, I'm going to stop you. Uh, let's go actually just go to the uh, interview with Dan Morgan. Dave did a really good job. His track record with quarterbacks speaks for itself, and what he did with Baker was super impressive. And then the combination of that and me knowing him, um, it was really attractive to all of us. And you know, he crushed his interviews. Um, he did a great job, you know, his plan, his vision, and um, it all aligned with what we were thinking. And everyone, no one questions your qualifications, everything, but some people want to know, okay, is he going to be a yes man or is he going to be someone who can say no to David Tepper and be your own man? Right. What should you? What do you say to people that are concerned about that? Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, it's it's a communication thing. And, um, you know, if I feel something's wrong, I'm never afraid to speak up and, and speak my mind. Um, I'm not just going to do it to do it, but uh, I'm not one to kind of hold back. And uh, Mr. Tepper's unreal to work with. Um, you know, I think... Uh, uh, a lot of people talk about that, but we have a great relationship, great working relationship that's that's healthy. 
So what were your impressions of uh, talking to a guy who's not new to the organization? I mean, he was the second-in-command behind yeah. Scott Fitterer, but now he takes the reins officially for you know, to do things his way. Well, that's why I asked that question. Are you just going to be a yes-man? I mean, that that's why I wanted to ask that question. And, and I liked his answer. I thought it was a good question, and I thought it was a really good answer, the way he answered it. And he's like, look, I've never been afraid of anything, and he's right. I mean, we're talking about a man who had 25 tackles, against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, and that was a Super Bowl record. It still might be a Super Bowl record, but 25 tackles. He played with reckless abandon, and, you know, if he so he's clearly not afraid of things. He played the same way in college when he was at the University of Miami. So if that's if he holds true to himself, then in saying going up to David Tepper and going, I think that's a horrible idea or I think that's a bad idea, I don't think that's the right way to do things, hopefully he'll do that, and hopefully he'll, inter, you know, intervene when he needs to actually say no to David. But that's why I asked that question, because a lot of people thought he was just going to be a yes man. Yeah, I'm hoping that this is a, the brand new start that the Panthers need, and that it's a boost of adrenaline yeah. to the fan base, to the team, and that we're all going to be super pumped and excited and lost in Dave's eyes, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll make the hard right turn from uh, Debbie Gibson <laughs> to Toby Keith. Saluting Toby Keith, who passed away. The age of 61. Oh, wow. That, I had no idea. Was, I thought oh, it was 62. Sorry, 62. I thought I was older than you. I had no idea. All right. Thank you, Jensen. Wow. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it as always. Thank you, Beth Troutman. Be back tomorrow. Mm, I like the hair. I like the hair. Thanks. Oh, yeah, I'm wearing a hat today, folks. Draw a hard line When the gun smoke settles We'll sing a